Welcome to the Super Bowl preview edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to discuss everything about the game, how these teams match up against previous Super Bowl contestants, and exactly how good the Rams and Bengals really are. Also going to go through the hiring cycle and what all that means for the NFL going forward. That and much more on the Analytics Podcast, Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. We are pivoting slightly this week, going to a single episode rather than the dual episodes with nothing to review. May go back to dual episode next week with the Super Bowl review early in the week and then get into some other issues uh, later in the week while continuing on on a once per week fashion, therefore in the future. Uh, The format that I'm going for here on this podcast is... First, to discuss the Super Bowl, the contestants there, some larger issues, I think, around how these teams play, uh, in particular, how they're they're running the ball a little bit too much and where some misconceptions may be in that. And that misconception stuff is also going to feed into the hiring cycle and the coaching cycle. I'm going to try to give the best assessment I can of these hires that have been made, even though... We truly do not know that much. Anyone who is highly confident that they've nailed the GM coaching cycle is overconfident. Anyone who's highly confident that their team has blown this cycle is probably also overconfident in that direction. But we'll we'll get into all that. Uh, But before we do, you know, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that we have a 25% discount still available from now until February 14th. So that is next Monday, Valentine's Day, y'all. 25% off, super 25 discount, all the PFF locked article content, NFL green line stuff. If you want to get in on all the player props action for the Super Bowl, all of our best bets are available there. And there's going to be a ton of stuff in the offseason, including the new draft guide is up. I'm going to be getting into all the draft content. I got a lot of research that I'm doing on quarterbacks this year. Not sure I like them. But uh, I figured out some some definitely mid-round guys that I like that I'll, I'll let you guys know about uh, as the offseason is progressing. Free agency, all that stuff. Again, super 25 code at PFF. Okay, let's first talk Super Bowl. And I think that the way this game is being talked about is a little bit confusing. I mean, if we want to talk about it from a high-level perspective on the bloodless betting markets here and it's a little bit less a little more blood in there uh when it comes to the super bowl than it would coming to other contests this season you know markets can be moved a bit more by fan money and so on that may be a little bit less rational during the super bowl than during the regular season but you know the blood's verdict of the market right now is the la rams being a four and a half point favorite over the Bengals are Line is more like 3.7 for green line. My number is actually a little bit higher. It's more like five for the Rams. I'm not as confident in the Bengals as our green line numbers. Now, our green line numbers are powered, not primarily, but there's a high degree of influence of grading. And Joe Burrow now, as of now, through this point in the season, uh, is the highest graded quarterback in the NFL, overtaking 
uh, Tom Brady after Tom had a difficult playoff outing against uh, the Rams a couple weeks ago. So I think that plays into it a bit more. And Stafford, again, this his grading is, I believe, let me pull up his exact grading this year. But again, we talk about grading versus efficiency. My stuff relies a little bit more on efficiency. The um, the uh, green line stuff a little, relies a little bit more on grading. So yeah, if you go to efficiency this year through this point in the season, so counting every game for everyone, Matthew Stafford's up to number one in EPA per play above Aaron Rodgers after, again, for him, a difficult playoff outing. But he's seventh in grading. So Burroughs one in grading. Uh, Stafford is seventh. Stafford is one in EPA per play. And Burrow is eighth. So according to my numbers, even if you mix these two metrics, it puts Stafford slightly higher than Burrow. And I think the markets believe that probably a little bit too, but the public perception certainly does not believe that if I'm going to account for, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a shiny new thing in Joe Burrow. I don't know if it's, it's as moxie and his swag that everyone's talking about there. I'm not sure what it is here, but Stafford is largely in the background, at least from what I'm seeing being played out there versus the Bengals is the new hot thing. But yet at a four and a half point spread, that is a significant probability of the Rams winning this. I mean, the money line minus 200. So that puts the win probability at, you know, 63 ish sort of percent, 64 percent. You know, teams win with a 36 win percent probability constantly. So it's not as if it's a huge deal here. But if you look at the cash that's coming in, more more cash, according to our numbers, has been coming in on the Rams, more uh, whether it be via the spread or the money line. So the cash that the people are placing their money where their mouth is, at least so far, is going over towards the Rams. Yet the ink that's being spilled, the virtual ink that's being spilled all over the internet is very, very much on the side of the Bengals. And I'll talk about some of that. Try not to enrage too many uh, Bengals fans out there who've had it out for me due to some probably ill-conceived snarky tweets that I had about the Bengals. But then again, I don't really care what people say about me uh, on the internet. So I'm so I'm not worried about that. So again, EPA versus grading bowl. Number one passing offense for the Rams. Number eight. Number nine, eight, eight, nine for the Bengals. I mean, that's a huge difference. And part of it is just looking at what we have seen in the Super Bowl so far. What matters when it comes to the Super Bowl? A few different people have been posting on this. Um, Our own Tage Seth has been posting on this. I've seen a friend of the pod, Ben Baldwin, posting on this quite often where we're talking about Let's take a look at the Super Bowl contestants over the years. And I'm in this analysis, when I'm the numbers that I'm going to be feeding out to you, I'm looking at Super Bowl contestants, Super Bowl teams over the last, I guess it's 16 years going back to 2006. 2006 is where our numbers go back to for grading. So I'm not really looking at anything uh, beyond that point. So looking at those is trying to get an idea of how much does it matter how good a particular team offense or defense is? And unsurprisingly, things skew towards offense and things skew even more towards passing offense. Again, so we're talking about the Rams being the number one passing offense in the NFL right now. If we look at the 32 Super Bowl contestants counting this season and their full season numbers, including the playoffs, 
going back to t- t- uh, 2006, if we look at rank that season of passing offensive efficiency, seven of those 32 teams are first. We're first in the NFL in passing offensive efficiency. First out of 32 teams in the NFL. Those teams are the 2006 Indianapolis Colts, the 2007 New England Patriots, the 2013 Denver Broncos, Peyton Manning in the house a couple of times there, the 2016 Atlanta Falcons, the 2017 New England Patriots, the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs, and this season, the 2021 LA Rams. Now, you can see there, it's highly determined on whether you get to the Super Bowl. It's not necessarily highly determined whether you win the Super Bowl or not, because we're talking about coin flips in these circumstances of what can end up happening. Many of these teams had lost. Uh, The Patriots, the greatest offense maybe ever in 2007 lost. Denver with one of the greatest offenses in history in 2013 lost. Atlanta Falcons, obviously great offense there against another pretty good offense against uh, for the Patriots. They lost and so on. Uh, The Patriots in 2017, uh, season I'm talking about here. The Super Bowl is actually in 2018, but the 2017 season, of course, they end up losing to Nick Foles in the in the Super Bowl. So it's not ensuring victory by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very, very important to, for getting there. And as you move further, further down for passing efficiency for these teams, you have a couple teams that were the second most efficient team in the NFL. That's the New England Patriots in the 2016 season and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, last year. You keep on moving down. We have one, two, three, four that are were the third most efficient. You have another four that were the fourth most efficient, and so on. So as you go further and further down here, once you get outside of the top 10 teams, okay, so teams that are ranked in the top 10 in that particular season, there are only six teams out of these 32 that were not top 10 teams. So... You were more likely to be a Super Bowl team because there are seven of them for this. You're more likely to be a Super Bowl team if you're one of 32 teams to have the top passing efficiency offense in the NFL than you are if you are one of 22 teams. Again, 22 out of 32. So you, I'm sorry, I said this incorrectly. So if you're more likely, if you're one of 32 teams, that first place team, than you would be if you're 22 of 32 teams. So, so two thirds of the league doesn't really make it there. That shows you how, how powerful it is for this type of offense. Now, if we're going to flip over to something like rushing efficiency, you know, only three teams have been the top rushing efficiency team to, to make the Super Bowl. And about half of the teams were top 10 teams. So only half of the teams are top 10 teams here. Whereas, you know, almost all the teams were, were top 10 teams before. Uh, when you're talking about passing efficiency. And if you're looking at teams that are outside the top 10, again, half of the teams are outside the top 10 where there were only six outside the top 10 when it comes to passing efficiency. When you flip over to defense, it gets a little bit more confusing. And I think part of the discourse when we're talking about your defensive efficiency ranking it's unstable. We know that defense is, is less stable than offense. That's we all, we, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know that. But the thing is, for that reason, we shouldn't attribute the same qualitative feeling about a team using their team rankings on defense. 
so I may be confusing the point a little bit here, but the point is, like if we say the team has a top 10 offense based upon their EPA per play, I feel like that is a much better like empirical and value assignment to that team of having a good offense. Then if we say, well, how important is it that you have a top 10 defense? There are two different things going on there. It's not as important that you have a top 10 defense, period, because defense on any particular measure is not is not that stable. Any particular game is not going to be that stable. But also, we don't know who the top 10 defenses are nearly as well as we know who the top 10 offenses are. So the signal that we're getting from the results during the season is much lower for defense than it is for offense. So it could be like for this 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 game, for instance, for this Rams defense, it could be that we're looking at this game and we're saying, hey, the Rams have a, you know, first overall passing offense and they have the 11th overall passing defense efficiency offense. So they're the 11th best team against the pass and they're the best team passing the ball. Well, I'm a lot more confident that they're close to or, or at the best team passing the ball than I am that they are only the 11th team against the pass. My suspicion is they're probably more like a top five team against the pass. Because of the instability of the results, we should trust them a little bit less here. So when we're talking about this, you don't necessarily want to attribute defense isn't important because look at these defensive ranked teams that haven't performed well getting to the Super Bowl. It's more like we have trouble. Defense isn't as important, yes, but we also have trouble measuring it and figuring out who the important defenses are. If we knew on a value basis, not by this number, not by this this results basis, we knew on a value basis, some sort of intrinsic value basis, who the top defenses really are, I think we would find that they are very important for eventually winning these games. Just we don't know who they are here. We see the, the Bengals are the 12th best EPA per play defense, and the Rams are the 11th best. Are they similar? Probably not. The Rams defense is probably quite a bit better. Um... So I wouldn't say it's 11th versus 12th. That's how good they actually are, even though that was their results during the season. Okay. The other thing I want to mention about these two particular teams is my issues with how they are balancing their running game. Okay. So both of these teams are not particularly pass-heavy teams. Despite the fact, if we look at the splits here for their... Passing and rushing efficiency. And there's probably some positive regression coming for them in the area of rushing efficiency. Efficiency, But still, if we look at them, you have the number one overall passing efficiency offense, but yet, for the Rams, but yet when you look at their total offense this season, it's seventh. That's because they have the 30th efficiency run offense. So they have poor efficiency running the ball and... They are just running it a little bit too much, too. You combine both of those things together, and that's where you see the troubling thing here. Okay, so if we go to the rankings this season for pass rate versus expectation for these particular teams, the Rams are, I mean, they are seventh. They're 5% over expectation, but again, Kansas City, 12.5%. You really start to see the tails go over your how dramatic of a difference it is. You know, it's not the difference between seventh by this measure and being middle of the league is much, much smaller than the difference between 
first and seventh in here. So they're 5% over expectation on the year. So they have poor efficiency and they're not really juicing getting enough efficiency out of their passing game by passing as much as they are. The Bengals, again, they've snuck into the top 10 here as far as their pass rate over expectation after being middling for most of the season. But again, 3.5% is not really enough when you consider that they have the ninth best passing efficiency offense, but they're only 13th overall because of their run offense, which they're running too often, and it's 25th in efficiency. So both of these teams have done a poor job of leaning into that. I want to see if this is going to happen in the Super Bowl. One thing that I'll say about, I don't know if it's part of the larger philosophical system of people who have come out of the McVay-Shanahan sphere, um, is the reliance on the run which has helped open things up in the passing game potentially, but maybe too much of a belief in that. So hurting themselves there. And then maybe that's related a little bit to the fourth down issues that we've seen with these teams, not relying upon that nearly enough. So let's, let's look at the playoffs in particular. I think there's just like such a huge contrast to how poorly these teams have been doing. I mean, the Bengals have had a poor playoffs. That's it's what it comes down to. I know they're in the Super Bowl. I know they won the games, but they won all these games by a few points. They, you know, were way ahead on the turnover margin, despite the fact that there were tip passes involved in in some of these here. Their field goal kicker made 12 kicks, including a handful from over 50 yards, didn't miss anything, didn't miss any extra points. Um, They had some long run after the catch type of plays that ended up contributing to that. So, but still, they, they added 12 EPA. They've had 12 EPA from their drop back offense. Over the course of those three games, they've had a negative 11.2 running the ball. So almost wiping out everything that they've done positively passing the ball. The Rams are way more dramatic. They have 40.9 EPA. So 40.9 versus only 12 for the Bengals passing the ball. They've been hugely efficient passing the ball, especially in that Buccaneers game when we watched how they marched up and down the field there. And they're running game, which includes the fumbles, the fumble losses, which they had four fumbles in that game. The running game, minus 45 expected points added. So plus 40, minus 45. Whereas the Bengals, plus 12, basically minus 12. So these two teams have ended up netting out, having very little positive offensive efficiency by how poorly they've been running the ball. We'll see how much they really lean into that going forward. But I think that is going to be critical, critical, critical for them in this particular game. All right, before I get into more about the Super Bowl, I want to hit an ad here. We're going to talk about Western and Southern. The Unexpected Points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand the needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at Western and Southern dot com slash pff and let's talk about DraftKings. the moment we've been waiting for since september is finally here in honor of the big game DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of super bowl 56 is giving customers 56 to 1 odds on either team bet just five dollars and get 280 in free bets if your team wins DraftKings sportsbook is live now in new york meaning you can bet in almost a third of the country and if you can't 
Still millions of dollars in cash prizes available for daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 and over, see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so more about the Super Bowl here is I got to get into Joe Burrow. The, the, like, what do we think about Joe Burrow? For me, the name Tom Brady is getting thrown around a little bit too much. Now, I know I'm a company man. I got PFF in the Twitter handle. Joe Burrow's the number one graded quarterback. But for me, humility is always good. Having a humble approach. We're not declaring anyone the king after one year of having a high passing grade, nor are we writing anyone off if they don't have a high passing grade here. So where does Joe Burrow rank? And this is what my, you know, back of the envelope sort of calculation and rankings that I put through here, which matches up really well with one metric. And the metric that I ended up using as a proxy on here is to say, let's look at how many times they were either top five in EPA per play or top five in PFF grade ranking for the season. And you can get two points if you get both of those in a season. And we're going to look back over the last five seasons. How often does that happen? And it matches up pretty well with what my rankings are, which is Patrick Mahomes, number one, kind of in a tier unto himself, honestly. Next Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson. Now, some people wonder about Watson, but, you know, he didn't play this last year. He probably would have racked up at least one of those two categories in the top five. He was in the top five in both categories the prior year, and he was in the top 10 in both categories the year before that. So he's been on this steady transition. You know, I'm I, I'm not very... Looking forward to him coming back, honestly, with all of these allegations. We'll see how that shakes out. But it's looking like the ball is rolling and something's going to end up happening in 2022. Uh, so I think he will be back. Now, for me, that's it for the truly I'm going to put them down on the ledger. I'm going to chip in stone their names as being the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, some people, maybe they want to say 10 quarterbacks or elite. They want to throw in a bunch of different guys. I'm not doing that. I'm saying these four would have been five if Brady continued on to this season. Uh, now, in the near elite category, I do think Burrow falls into this category. I'm going to put him in that category. But at the same time, there are a lot of names in this category. And I think that's why it's getting a little bit confused of people saying, you know, Burrow may be better than Mahomes because of the IQ issues, because he's this more cerebral player. I mean, there's no real way you can get there other than looking at their PFF grade for one season. Mahomes still had a higher EPA per play. Uh, he still had better metrics last season by far. And he has a history, of course, having you know won the MVP before, been a top flight guy who took his team all the way to the Super Bowl the previous year, uh, been to the AFC Championship game every single year that he's been a starter, and so on. It's, it's really, really hard to get there. And, and we're, we're going way too far in that direction, including going way too far with the comparisons to Brady. Again, I'd have Brady much more in this elite category and, and not Burrow yet, but in the near elite category, uh, I would put Russell Wilson and Wilson's one of these guys where 
he's very borderline in the elite, but I think for the fact that he has not hit those top five metrics in now two seasons running, although he was in the top five PFF grade category before the finger injury this year, it's more like I'm going to hold him in this near elite category and then give him a little boost. I'll boost him right back into that elite category once he shows me a little something that this isn't a permanent plat new plateau that he's gone to these last two seasons. So just got to show me a little something there, which he was starting to do in 2021 before things fell off. But again, you know, Wilson was seen as being this one B to Mahomes one a only a couple of years ago. And that of uh, has fallen far as I, as I predicted. Uh, the next guy on this list, I would honestly say is Justin Herbert and the Herbert versus Burrow debate. I lean Herbert because there's no real way to get to Burrow other than, again, if you're just going to lean everything on the PFF grade for this season. Uh, you know, Herbert, this this season, if you look at his rankings, yeah, uh, Burrow's now number one. Herbert's fourth in, in grade, fourth in EPA. And again, I said Burrow was down at eighth. So significantly better. So like, let's just think about a simple way of, of thinking about who's, who's, if you wanted to average these two categories, Herbert has an average of four, four in each category. Burrow has an eight and a one, which is a nine. Burrow has an average of four and a half. So even just for this season alone, if you wanted to just look at these equally, which I like to do, maybe you want to put more on grading. Um, even if you want to just look at these equally, you could argue that that Herbert had the better season. Now, if you go back to 2020, and I think this is the important point here, is that we want to discount what happens in the rookie year somewhat, but we don't want to just toss it completely out the window. So Herbert in his first year was eighth in EPA per play. So he was in the top 10, and he was 14th in his grading. Uh, Joe Burrow was 17th in EPA per play and 18th in grading. So you have this season, which is arguably a coin flip, although I don't think a lot of people see it that way. You have last season, which was a strong tick in the column of Justin Herbert. You have Herbert being a year younger, and you have Herbert having, I think, pretty easily noticeable, better kind of talent from a perspective of just being able to throw the ball, things that we can actually you know, think about in a way where we don't have to get inside their head and their processing and IQ and things like that. So he has all those leaning towards him and injury concern, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have the, the major injury and he doesn't, he's not taking as many sacks too. So it's probably, probably less likely he has a major injury going forward, all those sorts of things. So for that reason, I would put Herbert there. Now for where Burrow would go, you could maybe put Burrow next, but I, I think Dak Prescott is in the mix there. Uh, again, he's another guy who has some injury concerns this year where what happens next year, we'll have to see. Um, you know, Burrow's right. I think Burrow, Dak, and then now going into Lamar Jackson are all kind of right in there. The problem with Lamar is we've had two back-to-back disappointing seasons here, and it's really gone on under the radar what happened this season. Lots of different metrics have fallen for him. He's taking more sacks than you would expect based upon uh, his offensive line play, where he was doing the opposite as a in his second season when he won the MVP. He's throwing more interceptions, a lot more turnover-worthy plays than he was in that season. And, of course, he's had the injury concerns and he's missed time. So that's been probably affecting his play. But it, 
it's something you hope you're not going to get a lot of going forward. So, so that's more the tier that I put for Burrow. And then after that, this kind of near elite tier, which is even a bigger tier, I would put Stafford in there um, and I would put Kyler in there. But Kyler's probably at the end, almost in his own tier at the end there. Ryan Tannehill is actually someone who scores really well, according to these metrics of EPA and grading, but I'm going to put him at the top of the next tier. I'm not quite putting him in this like near elite sort of tier here, but that would be it for that. So, I mean, I don't think it's bad to say for Joe Burrow, he's somewhere in that six to 11 ish sort of range, probably closer to being, if you're going to look really, really hard at it, I would say it's really close to being between seven and nine right now. That's where I think it's fair for him. And I think that's fine to say. I don't think you have to point to him being the face of the NFL or the next Tom Brady or, you know, going to take over the league and everything else. When he has what is this Bengals team, which is about an average team for how they performed offensively and defensively, which has gotten to this point, it's gotten to the Super Bowl. Uh, that can happen and he can get much better going forward. He can get a better offensive line and things can go better. I, I just don't see the concern or the need to jump ahead of everyone and what we're doing now. And, or, you know, he's a, he's a culture difference maker. I'm reading in different places. Let's, you know, we don't need to attribute all these things to him. He's played well enough by his on, on field quantifiable metrics to say he's a great quarterback. He's just not quite there yet. And he will get there or he won't get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, but no need to jump ahead. Uh, I know we got two weeks into the Super Bowl, and that's what we're due, but I would not quite do that yet. All right, before we get on to a little coaching assessment, coach, coach talk, coach talk here, let's talk Manscaped. Oh, yeah, roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors, Manscaped, are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, coming up on Monday. It's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who have trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming for our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping. Manscaped.com, use code PFF. Join Cupid, Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. All right. Let's talk the most recent coaching hires. And some of these I dabbled in before, no pun intended for Brian Dable, but um, I didn't get into them that much. So all of the coaching vacancies have been filled now at this point. I see people getting excited about the Giants in particular because they brought in Joe Shane from the Bills. Brian Dable, who I mentioned, they got Wink Martindale now as the offensive coordinator. So they're kind of building a, a a big team there. I would think that for the very little that we know, I do think there is something with Dable and as far as what he was able to do with Josh Allen um, and the evolution of him getting better. Now, did he make Josh Allen become more accurate? No, I think... A lot of that is probably based on whatever training that he had to help improve his accuracy and his form and and whatnot there. But what he did do is, and they've they rank extremely highly. Where I have a metric here, where if you combined pre-snap and either either pre-snap or at the snap motion play action, 
throwing the ball on first down and second and long. If you combine those three metrics, you know, the bills are through the roof. It's kind of smashing the easy button on some of these plays. Uh, Passing on second is short also, which is another easy button that you're smashing on these plays. So Dable's been doing these things. Again, it's very difficult. I know that everyone can parse what's going on scheme-wise and what's going on scheme-wise. For me, that ends up being a lot of, if it worked, then we're going to give it credit. If it didn't work, then we're not going to give it credit. I think these particular things where you see these overarching value that you can get from something like pre-snap or at the snap motion, it's not, you know, you run motion and you get better necessarily, but it's it's good to know these overarching macro points then figure out how can we integrate this more into our offense? Should we be thinking about it? Again, it's not just, you know, pass the ball every play. It's thinking, hey, passing, we we can get these explosive plays on second and one, passing the ball, and we still have two downs after second and one to get a first down. So let's figure out how to get those explosive plays. It's not just, oh, the EPA per play on second and one is so much higher than rushing the ball, so therefore pass it every play. No, we're not saying that. We're saying take these macro numbers to think about how you can apply it in a smart macro way. That's what the coaches are great at. That's not what we're great at. You know, we're not, we're not going to be out there coaching anyone, telling them to do that. So Dable has done that. So I do think that was a good hire there. Now, when we go over to Minnesota, Bring in Kevin O'Connell. I I don't know what to think. I mean, he's from the McVeigh tree. And again, I have a little bit of an issue with some of the McVeigh tree stuff because of how much they rely on the running game. Uh, I know there was a quote floating around here when about Mike McDaniel, who of course is now the head coach of the Dolphins. So maybe I can lump him in there somewhat about when he's talking about, you know, the two high defenses He's like, you have to run the ball, make them respect it to bring up another safety. And then, you can be more effective passing the ball. I mean, maybe that's true, but it's just not like defenses have gotten a lot smarter in the last year or two. We saw it with what, you know, the Fangio system, which was then employed by Staley and is now being employed by, you know, Staley's successor in, in LA and also with Staley in uh, for the chargers. We're keeping more of these two high shells that we're seeing other places. You know, for certain teams, it's not going to matter. The Chiefs faced a ton of, you know, three-man rushes in the second half of their conference championship game that they lost to the Bengals. But you can't say, oh, the Bengals don't respect their run game because that's why they do it. Because if you rewind to the first half, they were doing kind of a lot of the same thing, number one. Number two, the Chiefs are running all over them. The Chiefs had a 95th percentile rushing efficiency in that first half. They were running fairly often for them in that first half. It did not change the Bengals' philosophy. The Bengals were going to play a certain way because they're facing Patrick Mahomes. It's not as simple as you run the ball more and then teams will automatically bring that safety down. We're seeing it again. We talk about Russell Wilson, the struggles he's having. Teams have started to acknowledge the fact, you know what, Seattle? You can run the ball as much as you want. We're not going to let you get those explosive plays with Russell Wilson. They were doing it to Josh Allen. They say, you know what? You guys never run the ball, so I guess it didn't really matter for the Bills. But even when the Bills start running it better, they were going to come in on it. So I don't think it's it's that simple. I don't think you can enhance Patrick Mahomes' efficiency, and off, a Patrick Mahomes-led offensive efficiency by saying, you know what? We're going to run the ball a bunch. And then the defense is going to say, we got to stop the run, and then we're going to pass the ball really effectively. No, you have Patrick Mahomes. The defense is never going 
to say that unless unless they're they're idiots, which is possible. They're never going to say we are so focused on stopping the run here by Patrick Mahomes because this Chiefs offense is shooting themselves in the foot and being less efficient running the ball over and over and over again. No, it's, it's not going to happen. So I'm a little bit worried about that because I know that Kirk Cousins probably is a quarterback where there's a lot more of that evident, where running the ball so much probably does help open things up for him more because the defense is not going to respect stopping the pass as much against Cousins as others. So I can see that working. Maybe that's the case with Tua also in Miami. So I can see that working there. That probably is the case somewhat with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, tremendously positive splits towards play action versus not using play action with Stefanski. So I can see that there. But if you have a top-notch guy and people are talking about, you know, maybe the Chiefs could have counteracted what was going on. No, forget about it. Defenses are not – I've gotten a lot smarter now. I know your your pregame – you know, your coaches where you go around the coaching table on CBS and you say, what did the teams need? What are the keys to the game? And they all say establish the run. Yeah, they're still doing that. But coaches in the NFL now, defensive coaches in particular, are light years ahead of how other people are thinking about that. So when it comes to O'Connell, when it comes to McDaniel, I think the positivity they bring along with what Shanahan has has implemented and McVay and that coaching tree it's obviously they're very, very diligent about their process. They're very, very good at diagramming and scheming and opening things up. They're very, very good about thinking creatively about how to run things. But I do think there's a concern with conservatism for fourth down calls and for a little bit for running, which may be offset a little bit with Quasi Adufo Mensa there and helping things and the analytical edge that they'll have in Minnesota. So we'll see what's going on there, but it will be very interesting. It sounds like Minnesota is sticking with Kirk. And I know that I had an episode with Ben Brown a few weeks ago where, you know, I wasn't against that philosophically because they're not going to get that much of benefit of offloading everything this season. I don't think they're going to get a ton of trade capital for doing it. And they can pretty easily bring back all their pieces in what will be somewhat of a weakened NFC with Brady no longer there, maybe with Aaron Rodgers no longer there, maybe with Russell Wilson no longer there, and so on. It's a much, much weaker conference than it is in the AFC, at least theoretically. So, um, you know, I, I, I can see that being that being something that can be something that can work there. Lovey Smith, you know, don't have a ton to say about this hire. Sounds like Josh McDaniels was the guy, and now Lovey Smith is being thrown in there. I just feel bad for Lovey Smith becoming you know, all these things like foisted upon people. So now what's foisted upon him is being seen by one side as kind of a uh, a martyr type of figure for being thrown into this position where the team probably didn't end up actually wanting in the first place. And then from the other side, being seen as some sort of undeserving affirmative action hire, despite the fact that he had been a coach before. Josh McDaniel for the Raiders, again, very much a question mark. I think at this point, I think he mentioned that he wasn't good with people and now he's better with people. I think from a schematic standpoint, it's fine. I don't really have anything to say, but obviously he made major, major mistakes as far as how he treated uh, the draft picks and dealing with talent when he was with the Broncos. So hopefully um, that won't happen in Las Vegas. But again, you know, Vegas kind of seems to just be going for the names rather than necessarily going for some of the more under radar guys that you might, that you might expect to see here. Um, 
so who are the who are the other coaches here? Eberflus. I don't know. I like Frank Reich, so maybe maybe that's a good good hire there. I think I like Ryan Poles there, um, but nothing really great to to say about that. And of course, I discussed this somewhat with um, Brad Spielberger back in the day. Nathaniel Hackett. What I think about interesting about Hackett is he is not like a Shanahan tree sort of guy, although he came and he's been the offensive coordinator there for a couple of years, uh, for a few years with. Um, with uh why is the name escaping me right now with with Matt LaFleur he's not like traditionally that sort of coach he's almost learned it as part of that so I think he could go a bunch of different directions with the Broncos it's really gonna be about the quarterback there who are they gonna get for the quarterback right that's what's gonna be about more than anything else so I think that that one is pretty interesting and the last guy I'll discuss is Doug Peterson I'm surprised that Peterson did not have more interest it seemed like he was not in the finals for many jobs it seemed like not many people wanted this Jaguars job, or at least they had lots of strings attached to it when it came to who they're going to bring in to bolster or replace Trent Baalke in the front office. I mean, Peterson was an innovator. And I know we had uh, Ryan Paganetti was on here, co-hosted quite a few pods with me on here. He worked as an assistant coach and the analytics guy with Peterson. He has nothing but the best things to say about him. I think he is going to bring some forward-looking stuff there. And I think the Jaguars are a sneaky team for having like latent potential because of the fact that they were one of the first teams to really turn towards an analytical view. Tony Khan, who is the son of the owner, Shad Khan, Tony Khan is very much into these things. He's a part owner or full owner of True Media, which does analytics work. Uh, he's He heads up a lot of the analytical work that they do with their different uh, soccer franchises uh, and their soccer work there. He built the prop, one of the best, if not the best, analytics team in Jacksonville several years ago. And um, that, that kind of DNA, I think, is still part of the organization. The problem is is when they brought in Tom Coughlin, that all got shut down. They brought in a little bit too many of these emperors to come in and shut down everything. First, it was Tom Coughlin. And then, of course, you know, after the residue of that, it all washed out. Then they brought in Urban Meyer. And, you know, Meyer's not going to be a guy, again, a little too much top down. So the good thing about Peterson, I think, is maybe for the fact that he's not too much of a highfalutin coach coming in, everyone's bidding over him that maybe the lack of, you know, total control and power that he has there may be good from a collaboration standpoint there. Um, and, you know, I know some people used to work for a Daniel Adler, who's now with the Minnesota twins as a top analytics guy. I mean, he was like the director of research there. Like I mentioned several years ago with the Jaguars where they actually made some pretty good moves other than the fact that, um, that they just, you know, picked a, they decided to to, to draft uh, Blake Bortles, it seemed like, months and months and months in advance without really having a real quarterback search there. Um, but even before that, they they made some good moves there. So I am – that's probably the mo- one job I'm most cautiously optimistic about for a team that had good pass blocking. I know they talk about building up the trenches there. Their pass blocking was pretty good. It was a top 15 pass blocking. Um, Trevor Lawrence was – not taking sacks, he was actually better. His sack rate was better than you would have expected based upon the pass blocking they got. He had some problems with turnover over the plays, but again, I think he can tamper that down a bit if they get on the right side with receivers. I think you get him some more receiving talent, you get some structure, you get someone like Peterson in there who knows what he's doing. 
I'm excited about the Jacksonville team, maybe more than any other team uh, of these new hires going forward and what they can do with the talent like Lawrence in place going forward. Like I said, I, I love Dable, but I'm a little bit less high on Daniel Jones and what they've built there where they almost already have enough fat in there where they're not just growing forward like they are for the Jaguars. So Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe we can get some early uh, team totals on them for next season. That'd be something to explore after the Super Bowl. Anyway, everyone, enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll be coming back at you on Monday with probably with Ben Brown here to wrap everything up there and then a later episode in the week to discuss what's going on. And we'll start in with all the free agency and draft talk. I have a lot of draft analysis for everyone here. Go ahead, rate, review the pod. And I appreciate everyone tuning in until uh, next week. Everyone have a very safe and happy Super Bowl experience. Talk to everyone later. 